everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 234 of Yoga Land. We have Jason back with us today. Hi, Jason. Hello. We're going to talk about Patanjali again today, but first I want to commend you on almost being finished with filming for module three. Can I take a moment? Okay, so I have now taught three, six, six 100-hour modules online, but I've refilmed every single one each time. Yeah, you have. I'm aware of that. <laughs> Actually, I'm aware. I am definitely aware of that. So this has been, this has been a very intense thing, mm. but you know what? Hmm. They've gotten better each time. <laughs> I'm sure they have. They better when have. you repeat something over yeah, and over, you better, better get better have. at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, quick plug. We have module three coming up soon. That's coming up in this month. Yeah. Um, right? I believe that. It's the end of this month. Yes. So materials are available the end of this month, May 31st 30th. or 30th, whatever yeah. it is. And then our live calls are the first two weeks of June, the second two weeks of June. Yes. And then also I'm restarting module one. This summer. In August. Yes. All that information is available. It's super awesome. It's really great to do online. I don't think you're missing anything. Like to do it online instead of live. Yeah. So if you're interested in those things, check them out. They're super great. People are really, really stoked. It's been a really amazing community. Chelsea left me a message the other day and said that she was getting feedback from the mentors that the students were feeling like having the mentoring groups really did give them a way to connect with other students. Not the way you do in person, but just it gave them those smaller cohorts have been really making people really happy. So yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. So two quick things, right. Which is when we shifted to making these online, my goal was not to replicate the live spirit experience online. It was to do it online in the best possible way to do it online, which means considering online teaching practices and educational practices, which are just really different than live ones. And I think that everything is as good, if not at times better, online, except peer-to-peer -peer stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that takes a hit. That's the thing that really takes a hit, to be honest. And so sorting this out over the course of the last year, we've had to figure out different ways to do this. And one of the ways to do this has been with mentors and small groups and breakout rooms. And so I've approached this with a problem-solving mindset to figure out, okay, how do we take this content and how do we maximize it? And then when there's something that is falling a little flat, that's okay. How do we fix that? And so I think that that's been a really awesome thing. I'm yeah. happy. I'm super, super happy with it. I was really happy to hear that people were feeling just more connected. Because like you said, that's the hardest part about uh, not being in person. The other thing is, look, the online connection has some sustainability over time that in person doesn't necessarily. Because the thing is, for the majority of my trainings most of the people don't live in that region. Yeah, that's true. You know, so there's so many people that come in and we get to know each other, but for a short period of time, mm -hmm. 12 day increments. And so doing this online, you don't have those 12 day increments, but you get to meet a community online. Yes. And then when you graduate, I have those ongoing monthly mentor calls and so forth. And one of the things that we've talked a lot about, Patanjali. Yes, let's get into that. So we have had a couple of conversations recently in which we unpacked some of the metaphysical infrastructure that Patanjali leans on and many of the different concepts that Patanjali leans on. But what we haven't unpacked is his plan, right? We haven't unpacked the eight limb process or the Ashtanga limbed method not to be confused with Patabha Joyce taking that name, right. right? But we haven't just kind of gone through the step-by-step -step model. 
And what I want to do is I want to present three different ways of working with or three different ways of interacting with Patanjali's eight-limbed path. So we're not going to talk about yamas and niyamas in like large nuanced detail. I, I think that our listeners probably have the basic concept, but more so I want us to reflect on different means by which we can actually use the eight limb method that he presents. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have three kind of different approaches or lenses. Yeah. Three different lenses or approaches or three different models. Okay. Right. So Patanjali presents us this worldview that is informed by Samkhya and the dualistic concepts of Purusha and Prakriti. He lays out to us what he wants to have happen, which is the cessations of the fluctuations of the mind, so that we can see the true nature of self without the cluttered misidentification of our temporary self. But he acknowledges that that's not easy and that we need a protocol, like we need a roadmap in order to, in order to enact that vision. So he provides us with the eight limb model that I think pretty much everyone is familiar with. So we have the eight limbs just to lay them out. Yamas, Niyamas, Asana, Pranayama, Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana, and Samadhi. I feel like we could The name of our eight like... puppies. <laughs> <laughs> Dharana. Um, no, we would be... I hope no be... one is offended by oh that. Oh my God. If you are, it's fine, a different podcast. <clears throat> I know. I know. I was actually just thinking, as you were saying, though, I was going back and forth thinking like, this could be a schoolhouse rock <laughs> for modern times. We the people in... You, did you ever watch... You had schoolhouse yeah, rock yeah, in, yeah, your, yeah, yeah, yeah. in your little tiny colonial abode in Toledo, yeah. Ohio, right? Toledo. <laughs> yeah. My Spanish is really good from leaving, from growing up in Toledo. <laughs> so those are the limbs. But then... Here are the models, right? So you have the most kind of obvious, basic, historical approach to those limbs, which is to perceive those limbs as a hierarchy, to see those limbs essentially as what I call a step-by-step -step process. Right, like the step, the rungs of the ladder. The rungs of the ladder. Yeah. That's the easiest way to think of them is, is a straightforward hierarchical process whereby you begin with the bottom and you proceed through the top. And there is a lot of reasonable and logical rationale for perceiving it this way. Now, before I go on and kind of build out this analysis, I want to make it really clear that even in the very early commentaries, there are different early commentarians on Patanjali that see Patanjali's method as some people see it as a very specific linear model in which you have to be proficient in one before moving to the next. Meaning you have to have completely enacted the yamas before moving to the niyamas. You have to completely enact the niyamas before moving to the asanas and so forth. But there are also early commentarians that, that don't agree with that. So as we move forward and we talk about these concepts, I am at no point saying Patanjali believed you needed to go through it X, Y, or Z. No one knows that. Even the early commentarians had disagreements about this. So I think these are just interesting points of reflection, right? But this first one is this idea that we move through in a hierarchical process. And this makes sense, right? And one of the reasons it makes sense is if you take a, a kind of bird's eye view of like a real macro view of yama to samadhi, you see it's a movement from the gross to the subtle. You and I talk a lot about self-regulation, right? And it's easier to regulate obvious things right. than it is to regulate subtle things. Yes. Right. Like, it's easier to fold your clothes than enact psycho-emotional transformation, <laughs> right? Right, right, right. Arguably, there's a different model where those are actually integrated processes, Okay. right? 
But the point on this is like when you look at Yama all the way to Samadhi, you are looking at relatively gross demands and refinements and regulations to profoundly subtle. And so a, a pretty argument can be made saying, look, we have to know how to regulate our posture before we can regulate our breath because our breath is more subtle than our posture. And if you don't have the skill to make the physical body still, steady, and quiet, then you're probably not going to have the skill to make the breath still, subtle, and quiet. And if you can't make your breath still and subtle and quiet, how do you pretend to mitigate your sensory interaction with the world around you? Like, how are you going to withdraw your attachment of the senses if you can't sit still? Mm -hmm. If you can't sit still and you can't regulate your breath and you can't also regulate the way in which your senses are interacting with the world around you, how are you going to fully focus and concentrate your mind? How are you going to get to dharana and dhyana, right? And so I don't think that we have to see the step-by-step -step linear model as being necessarily ethical-based. It's practically based, yes. mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like sandpaper. Like you use coarse sandpaper before you use fine sandpaper and you use fine sandpaper before you use even finer sandpaper and so on. Mm -hmm. And so it just does get easier. I mean, the longer you practice, the easier the access to the more subtle techniques become. Totally. Right. However, I'm so interested to hear your integrated model because. Well, because I think so that we're, that's, that's where we're going to, that's where we're going to spend time. Yeah. Okay. So that's the other thing is like, okay, look, so going even earlier to Yamas, right? Starting with ahimsa, this whole kind of process that Patanjali lays out begins, I mean, it doesn't begin with yamas, it begins with two and a half books full of metaphysics. So there's a, there's a lot of establishing complicated psychoenergetic parameters. But once we get to the game, you know what I mean? Like once we get to the method... We start with ahimsa. And it seems sensible that this is the broadest body of regulation that we enact before we start to fuss around with other things. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't have the capacity to be nonviolent or to interrupt or to cease or mitigate our violence, then how are we going to sit still? If we don't have the capacity to be non-hoarding, to be non-stealing, to be non-grasping, how are you going to sit still? So to me, not just to me, but like when we think about it as a process of going from the gross to the subtle and skill development, you know what I mean? Like thinking kind of like a modern lens, it's like, oh, this is a skill development of self-regulation from the gross to the subtle it makes sense to see it as this linear and hierarchical process, mm -hmm. right? Another thing that makes sense, arguably, is to have the two foundational elements of basic regulation in terms of our relationship to others and our personal practices, yama and niyama, it makes sense to have those as a foundation that are pretty well developed before you start to move on to the other landscape, right? So in this sense, this is a way that you can use this model. I would say that this model also appeals to kind of a, a linear, not that the other ones are irrational, but this model of going up the ladder is going to appeal to people who like lists and to like to do things in order mm -hmm. and to like to have their map 
relatively clearly spelled out, mm-hmm. I right? Have a lot of structure. It's like Google Maps, right? It's kind of like turn right here, go straight here, turn right here, go straight here. So this appeals to my Virgo brain, mm-hmm. and it is very sensible. It's the way that Patanjali's work is usually talked about. And for most people, it's totally impractical. And the reason that it's totally impractical is it's not really within the scope of most modern minds. For most modern minds, we can now go to this second model that I think of, which is Patanjali's integrated module. So in the first one, what I want everyone to do, the step-by-step model or the linear model, I want you to think about it, like you said, as rungs on a ladder. Mm -hmm. Yama's the first rung, Samadhi's the eighth rung. Now, the integrated Patanjali model- The rung like disintegrates as you get- There's no rung. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) And then you're like, wait wait a second. (laughs) There is no rung. There's like multiple multiple stages of Samadhi? (laughs) All right, that's right. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, yo, yo, yeah. It's yeah. it's whole subsection body of work yeah. that's yeah. super fascinating, super esoteric. Yeah, it can keep a mind busy for a long period of time. But so now what I want everyone to imagine is a different model. And I am not the person to invent this. I don't know. I mean, I've just heard, I've heard not a single source, but I've heard of this concept before. And this is how I think about the integrated Patanjali model, which is to think about it more like a wheel with spokes, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So a wheel with spokes. So the integrated Patanjali model is this name by which in any given stage, whether it's pranayama, asana, pratyahara, you are practicing and you are informed by other stages. Okay, this is the the simplest way to start to think about this. Where do most contemporary practitioners enter their yoga journey? Asana. Asana, Mm -hmm. right? So most people in contemporary practice are going to enter the Patanjali worlds in a teacher training because they started practicing yoga at a facility, a studio, and they were drawn in to asana. Mm -hmm. And asana is the third floor, right? So if you think about it in terms of like the limbs, you've already skipped the first two limbs, Right. right? You come into it from the third floor. But does that mean that you can't, go backwards and from your asana practice, be exposed Mm -hmm. to yamas and niyamas and pranayama, right? So the access point that most contemporary practitioners experience Patanjali is asana and pranayama. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the thing. So asana and pranayama, like those tend to be, and, and it makes sense, right? Because those are very... Not only are those culturally popular and not only are those mentally, emotionally, and physically accessible and valuable, but those are pretty tactile. Right, right. Right? Like an asana practice and a pranayama practice, even if it's just ujjayi breath and a flow class, right? That's still exposing you to a broader body of work. And so we have to accept that the vast majority of contemporary practitioners are going to enter on the third and fourth floor, and they're going to get exposed down the way over time to the concepts of yamas and niyamas and some of the other elements as they proceed. Yes. I mean... My, if memory serves, BKS Iyengar was known for being pretty strict about uh, when people did standalone pranayama practices and made it very clear that you had to have a certain level of asana practice to sort of 
quote unquote, progress on to doing these standalone pranayama practices. And I think, you know, clearly there's good reason for that. that If you're doing a really intense, consistent, certain type of pranayama practice, it can be, you have to have a very strong foundation, especially in your nervous system. However, I think for years that has made people afraid of pranayama. I've, I've witnessed it so many times. People feeling like, can I teach, you know, five minutes of Nadi Shodana at the beginning of my class? Is that sure. okay? And the answer is, of course, yes, it's okay. That wasn't really what he was talking about, right? Right. But if we're if we're going to strictly interpret Patanjali's model as the rungs, and you gotta get your you gotta get your asana all set before you move to your pranayama, then you're not doing that. And and like you said, I mean. Ujjayi is a form of pranayama. It's a breathing technique. Big time. It's an important one and a really, really um, therapeutic, in my feeling, it's a very therapeutic one. And it's okay for people to do it right away when they first start practicing. So that is, like you said, a really clear example. As you were talking about the rungs, you know I'm reading this book called Self-Reg right now by Stuart Shankar. He's a psychologist. And it's really a book that's mostly focused on how children self-regulate, children who have difficulties with behavior really actually have difficulties with regulation. And let's face it, so many adults have difficulties with regulation as well. And he talks about the different uh, components of the mind-body, and they're always overlapping for him. And so as you were talking about it, I was thinking about how for some people, asana, you know, is a great doorway in and, and movement and breathing comes really naturally to them. But for some people, physical exercise and movement is, is really challenging. And pratyahara might be an easier practice for that. It's, it's just, it's interesting to think about, we assume that going up, like it's harder, 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 but not everybody is that same model. Not right. everybody is like that. Right. And we also see there are millions of people that meditate that don't have an active asana practice, right? right? Yeah, yeah. But also, Patanjali wasn't really talking about asana or pranayama like BKS Anger was talking about asana or pranayama. Like, the way that we have built out asana and pranayama as subfields in and of themselves is probably beyond, not probably beyond, is infinitely beyond Patanjali's original intention. But the concept is still correct, right? So let's keep building on this idea, which is if you come in via asana, if you come in via breath work, if you come in via meditation, you're not going to stop there. And the reason you're not going to stop there is because all of the dimensions of your humanness are fundamentally and inextricably related to one another. So when you come in and you go to a yoga practice, let's just kind of think about it. Let's, let, we'll stay in like contemporary world, right? You come into a yoga practice, you're going to do asana. When you do asana in most situations, you're going to do some style of breath while you are doing that. While you are doing that style of breath, you are inevitably aware of the sensory input from around you, but you're doing your best to not kind of chase those senses down. I remember actually, just as a quick aside, when I used to study with Rodney in the original Piedmont Yoga Studio, I've told the story before, but it was in this like little raised courtyard and it was directly across. It was like the windows would always be open And the windows were maybe 15 feet away from the kitchen of a French restaurant. And at about 20 minutes into class, you would just start to smell food cooking. You'd start to smell butter and shallots frying. Oh, wow. And you'd have to deal with that. You know what I mean? And so that was always like this obvious pratyahara practice of like, okay, it's there. (laughs) But regardless... When you're doing asana, when you're doing pranayama, when you're tuning to what's happening as it's happening, that's also the product, the process of dharana, of meditation, of focusing the lens of the mind 
to what's happening in the present moment. At some point when we're doing our yoga practice, there is some fundamental absorption into what we're doing. So this, this little taste, there's this little moment of dhyana. That may be also this complete feeling of encapsulated humanness and joy, samadhi. That then may be what makes you interested in the amas. Mm -hmm. That then may be what makes you, that takes away the impulse to be violent, mm -hmm. that takes away the insecurities that make you want to hoard, that take away the insecurities that make you want to lie or cheat or steal, mm -hmm. right? Or give it, you the regulation to be able to practice saucha, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. And exactly. And that then gives you the regulations for maybe saucha, maybe brahmacharya, depending on like what your mm -hmm. life is like at any given time, right? So then as the experience that came from that asana practice, I mean, you may have gone through this whole loop in t a ten, minute, 10 minutes in a class, and you have maybe in that process some self-realization of, man, I, I need to work on not overreacting. I need to work on kind of owning my relationship or my anger issues or whatever it is. And then that continues its loop or it continues its circle. And that feeds the asana practice again. Because when the asana practice touches on all of the aspects of your humanness, it sticks, you know? Mm -hmm. When your asana practice, when the physicality of your asana practice touches on the other dimensions of who you are, you are much more likely to maintain the asana practice because you experience the poignancy of the practice itself. So it becomes this, this possibility of this cyclical virtual cycle virtuous cycle, mm -hmm. right? Okay, I know we're not supposed to vote, but I mean, I'm going to say that that category B is already the one I like the most. I like category C the most. Okay. Category C is almost the same as category B. So the next model is almost the same. Okay. But it's a little bit different. But the point is, is like, or in your asana practice, right? In the asana practice, you have the moment where you realize your negative self-talk. Or you realize like you've been lying to someone else or to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there, like there's you've been this, misrepresenting yourself. Yeah. Or, yeah. or you have been really miserable at work or you've been really miserable living where you live or in the relationship you're in or whatever it is. It's like that asana practice is often a catalyst for other things. Mm -hmm. And... I think that that's why it's such an unbelievably powerful thing. It's also one of the reasons I get so annoyed when people are like, well, yoga is not just physical. It's like, right. Mm -hmm. Got that memo a long time ago. But it is actually also physical. Mm -hmm. And the physicality of it is part of the impact of it. Mm -hmm. Because we are also physical. Mm -hmm. And so doing physical things inherently influences the other dimensions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like you, you would actually have to not believe in yoga to believe that you could just do physical yoga. Do you know what I mean? Right, right, because right. Because all the dimensions of the self are so inextricably related and they're so inextricably tied together that if you move any one component of self, you affect all the other components of self. Mm -hmm. So there's no such thing as just physical yoga because if you're doing something that impacts an integrated self, then it has a ripple effect on all the other dimensions. So the only question is, is the door you're walking through more overtly physical or not? Yeah. Is the impulse more physical or not? So anyways, I don't, I don't want to kind of go too far down that road. But I'm with you. I think this is a situation, right, where the asana practice is the catalyst for so many other dimensions of the practice because the practice is an integrated process and because we are integrated fields of being. So if we're doing an integrated practice 
and we're an integrated field of being, then you can step in, you can step into this circle or this integrated wheel and spoke system at any point, Mm -hmm. and these things are going to churn and affect each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Now I'm dying to know what the third one is, category C. Okay. So category C, I call the single limb module. Model. Or the model. Yeah. The single limb module. The single <laughs> limb model. You know what? Can we take a really quick aside? I don't like naming things at all. It's really hard. It's really hard. It's my I, least favorite part of being an editor. That's what I was going to say. I remember you talking about having to do cover lines oh, and title stores. Like, it's really hard. And it's really hard for me not to be like weird and academic. It's because you and I are just very literal people. We're not like fanciful, fantastical beings. I'm a fanciful, fantastical being. Light and glitter. (laughs) (laughs) Speak for yourself. I know, it's true. But I mean, I do think that there were people. That's what I actually am, trapped inside, (laughs) trapped inside a culturally Midwestern man. Oh, God. (laughs) No, I am not. I don't want to unpack that right now. No, you don't. I'm not at all, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) This morning on Glow, I taught a. I don't know if you were here when I... No, I think you left. So it was a 45-minute energy boost flow. And I was like, man, I haven't had energy for the last 10 years. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I haven't had any energy for the last 10 years. I don't know how I'm going to create it in 45 minutes. <laughs> You're like, how did I get picked for this one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not it. Did I not have editorial oversight over my content anymore? <laughs> no, you know what happens is I teach so many classes now mm. when I get the, when I get the like selections, I'm just like, yeah, I got it. I'll teach whatever. No, it would not. And then, but then I, I'm, but I'm pretty good at rationalizing. So I think it was a good class. I'm just, <laughs> look at Ginger right now. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> So I think it was a good class, and it was, you know what it was like? Pretty much all of my other classes. Just fantastic. I don't Fantastical mean- and glitter-filled. Okay, so now, here we go. Model three. Single limb model. So this is where you think about any one limb, and it is informed- and it informs the other limbs, okay? So let's think about this. So that other model, it was like, uh, it was a circle. Yes. Right? It, where, where things had this- Are we gonna per- put this on the website? We can. Yeah. Okay. Things had this perpetual continuity to them. Okay. Right? Now this one's a little different because you can kind of, place any one limb at the center, okay? So we'll, let's do it with a couple of different limbs, but okay. let's start with asana. Okay. Okay? So imagine you have asana in the center, mm-hmm. and then you have the seven other limbs surrounding it. Okay. And each limb informs asana. Interesting. Each limb informs the way you do asana. Hmm. I'm liking this. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Each limb I like myself. <laughs> informs the way you do asana. And your asana is an opportunity to practice that limb. So it, yeah. it goes both ways, I right? Like that. So and and here this is kind of one that, you know, like pretty frequently I think like asana I think is a place where this concept of what I'm speaking to is actually talked about all the time, just not as overtly as I'm speaking to it, right? Right. Because think about asana as the environment, not the end goal in and of itself. The asana is the environment where you actually practice nonviolence. You actually practice truthfulness. You actually practice energy conservation and direction. You actually practice cleanliness. You actually practice self-study. So in your asana practice, you are practicing the attributes that are encompassed in the yamas and the niyamas. Also, the yamas and the niyamas are giving you information about how to do your asana practice. Mm -hmm. So we know Patanjali didn't give us much information about asana, 
right? The information he get, did give us about having the dual qualities of steadiness and firmness is pretty good. You know, like if you're going to give like one little tidbit about an asana and saying it has the dual qualities of effort and relaxation, that's pretty mm-hmm. succinct and good. Mm-hmm. But I think all of us can step back and identify with, okay, maybe our asana should be informed by first doing no harm to ourselves. It should be informed by satya, being honest and truthful and responsive to the body that we actually have in this moment. Mm -hmm. Mm Non-hoarding. So for example, hey, right now I'm doing a preparation for a handstand while someone else is like, handstand, balance, middle of the room, and a bunch of variations. But I am not them. I don't get to do their pose. Mm -hmm. That's their body. That's Mm -hmm. their experience. That's their karma I know nothing about. I don't own that, and I don't need to compete with that. So this practice of... You get graspy in a pose. Yeah, a a parigraha, a steya, Mm -hmm. you know, of having this sense of... Yamas and niyamas are the way in which you govern how you're doing your posture. Right. There are ways that, yeah, the ways that, that, that are giving you the parameters of how to conduct yourself in any given pose. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Think about this another way, which is asana is also then the environment in which we're practicing pranayama, right? So asana is the place, not only that you're practicing and being informed by yamas and niyamas, but asana is the place that most of us do our breath work. Mm -hmm. And Can you flip it? Can you like talk me through how you approach the yamas in the center or or pratyahara in the yes. center? Yes. Okay. Let's get through asana a little bit okay. more because it's just, it's more, it's more overt, right? It's just, it's, it's not more overt. They're all equally overt. This is just the easiest one. I always think in my asana practice, it's informed, it's not just where I breathe, but it's informed by how I breathe. Meaning if in my asana practice, I'm going really, really far and I'm working really intense, but I'm working at such a threshold that my breath is struggling. It's a a bad pose. It's not a good pose because there isn't the back and forth exchange. That's where I want us to see this is it's actually a back and forth exchange. So whatever is at the center, asana is informed by the other limbs, right? Mm -hmm. But actually that asana informs that limb slightly. So another example, just asana at the center and then you choose one and we'll put it at the center okay. just don't choose samadhi because <laughs> i always feel like if i talk about samadhi i always feel like i'm back in my like uh i always feel like i'm back in philosophy grad school yeah. and i just want to i just want to like i just want to quit i just want to stop again i already quit it's, that it's a long not time. it's not it's more for you guys to talk about in training it's for this format no, it's not it's even not. something to talk about in training it's just Yoga philosophy is practical and embedded in our physicality. It's not an intellectual rumination. Mm -hmm. So anyways, point being, meditation, dharana, right? So we think about asana and dharana or asana and dhyana. So dharana being the lower form of meditation in which there's still subject-object distinction. So dharana meaning the, the process of concentrating. So I am focused on this. So I always think about technique and detail and nuance in asana as the practice of dharana. It's the practice of focus. It's the practice of meticulous concentration. So technique in asana to me is not so much about the asana. Technique in asana is the opportunity to practice fully concentrating my mind. Does that sensible? 
Diana absorption, a feeling of in the asana practice, you are fully absorbed in what you're doing as you're doing it. And some of the other aspects of life fall away. So that's a way in which we can kind of plug asana in the center. So now you want me to plug something else in the center. I do. So yamas then inform and are informed by all of the other limbs. Mm -hmm. So whatever you put in the center, that is informed by the other limbs and that informs the other limbs. So let's put yamas in the center. Right. Right? Yes. So that means that the yamas inform how you do an asana practice, how you do a breath practice, how you do a meditation practice, practice, how you have some relationship to the senses, meaning your asana practice and your breathing practice and your pratyahara practice are all governed by Mm -hmm. the principles or they're not principles, the actual practices of the yamas, Mm -hmm. meaning your breath work is going to be Mm -hmm. Mm nonviolent. Your breath work is going to be Mm non-greedy. Your breath work is going to be Mm non-hoarding and so on, Mm -hmm. right? Similarly, your meditation is going to, I mean, everyone's going to be like, of course, meditation is not violent. But your meditation is going to be governed by you not trying to impress yourself or someone else at your unbelievable piety Mm -hmm. in how long or how deep or how profound or how abnormal or how exotic your meditations are. So when yama's at the center, or when you put niyama's at the center, right? Especially thinking about, a niyama self-study, right? So when niyamas are at the center, self-study, you kind of say to yourself, oh, well, the reason I'm doing an asana practice right now is to to reflect on myself, Mm -hmm. to get to know myself. Right. And the most important thing that I can do in my asana practice right now is become more attuned to what's happening within my body and mind. Right. What I'm doing right now in my breathing practice, right? If my if my breathing practice is informed by the practice of self-study, then my breathing practice is just a way where I'm getting to know my breath pattern. Mm-hmm. I'm getting to know how do I feel when I retain my inhalation? How do I feel when I retain my exhalation? Do I inhale more easily on my left side? Do I inhale more easily on my right side? What happens to my body and mind when my breath is smooth and well integrated? What happens to my body and mind when my breath is kind of chunked up, right? Yeah. So another thing, right? It's another simple thing, self-study meditation, right? So what's guiding in this light, our meditation, is getting to know ourselves, right? Right. So our meditation is then grounded in the process of getting to know ourselves. Or you could put another niyama in the center of all those things, Ishvare Pranidana. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different ways that we can cut that up, but Ishvara Pranidana, the practice of surrendering to something that is bigger than ourselves. Mm -hmm. Can that inform the way we meditate? Mm -hmm. Can that inform the way that we do an asana practice? Surrendering to the reality that there are some things bigger than ourselves, can that help us stop lying and cheating and steal? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So all of these things have these kind of infinite interactions with each other where I think that the way humans are, the way the mind works, I don't think the single limb model or not the single limb model. I don't think the step-by-step model where you do 
Yama, the Niyama. I just don't think it's a practical reality. Yeah. I just don't. I'm don't not saying that. it shouldn't be. Yeah. I'm saying that, look, how do, do most people learn things the easy way? Well, it's not, it's just, I would say it's actually not the easy way. It's, it's not how, it's, it's not the applied theory. Right. It's the theoretical theory. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a great way to study it and learn it. But when you actually start when you're doing the practice, I think as 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 multifaceted beings, you just sort of naturally and automatically, hopefully. Are working the different steps simultaneously. Yeah. And in different phases of your life, you're probably focusing more on certain aspects than another. That was kind of going to be the last thing that I wanted to say is all of these things take a hell of a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So whatever model you're working with to enact or to be informed by Patanjali is a lifelong process, mm-hmm. right? Any spiritual tradition is. And so it's these. It's not like an address too, because look, even if we, we all backslide. So even if you were to be like, all right, I got all the... Yama boxes ticked and I got all the Niyama boxes ticked. Really? There's not going to be a moment where you don't slide backwards. Right. So since these are lifelong practices, I think the most reasonable way to do this is to put all of the limbs and all of the contents of the limbs in a Vitamix and just blast it on high Mm -hmm. because the reality is all of this stuff just goes into the hopper of life. And the more we see just an integrated process of parallel tracking and co-development and when you're in your breath practice, you have these realizations of, oh, I'm still a little greedy. I'm still a little insecure. Like these are the perfect opportunities to kind of take all of these dimensions and practice them together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well yeah thank you jason i don't know if i would vote for b or c now i I like they're so similar i know it's it's just nice to have these different to have the different models as a way of thinking about and framing practice so i'll put them up on the website on the show notes page which you can find at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 234 it's kind of fun 234 234 that's where we are right now last thing I have attached to the end of this episode, so keep listening. The comments from you listeners out there who wished Yogaland a happy anniversary. Last week, we did our fifth anniversary episode. I thought those comments were attached to the end of that episode, but they weren't. So I've got them here. They are just really uplifting and inspiring. And I thank all of you from the bottom of my heart. Okay, so enjoy listening to these. And until next week, Enjoy your practice. I sure love the jokes and I love the giggles. I love how authentic, real and honest you are and how every single time when you talk, it feels like it comes straight from the heart and you really care about your listeners. Your Yogaland podcast has helped me stay in touch with a world that I long to be a part of and will get there someday. Thank you so much for all of it. Hi, Andrea. I just want to greet you a happy anniversary, happy birthday, happy fifth birthday. And you've been a tremendous help for me. For my, I, I've uh, only been a yoga teacher for two years now. And, and English isn't my first language, obviously. But you and Jason are a big, huge inspiration to me in my yoga practice, in my teaching, and even my life. Thank you so much for everything and more power. Bye. Hi, Andrea. Congratulations on five years. I was a brand new yoga teacher when I stumbled upon your podcast five years ago. So we started at about the same time. Um, This podcast has been a wealth of knowledge for me, not only as a teacher, um, but as a student as well. I think you have introduced me to so many different people that are on this path and um, the knowledge that you share, that Jason shares, along with all of your other guests has been crucial 
in my teaching journey. So thanks so much. And here's to another five years. Hi, Andrea. Um, I have so appreciated your podcast, particularly this past year, um, having to transition from running all over the city. I'm in DC teaching classes and trying to figure out all of that to moving online. Um, I felt like you and Jason just being there with like this caring, supportive voices from afar. Um, I've loved you guys a lot for years, but really um, found so much support and solidarity and wisdom from tuning into you this past year plus. And I just feel like you guys are there for us as teachers in a way that um, that is really uh, unparalleled and filling a, a much needed void and I just appreciate how honest and direct and um, kind-hearted you guys are. So thank you for all of your work and for inspiring us and thank you for your awesome content blueprint course um, which I'm working my way through. And this is Anna Franklin in Washington DC. Congratulations. Hi Andrea, I'm so glad I can tell you how much Yoga Land has meant to me in the past few years. Uh, about four years ago, I moved away from a really robust yoga community um, and I was very involved. It was my work, it was my social life, it was really, I think, a, a lot of my everything for a long time. And when I moved to this new place, um, I didn't have any of it and it felt like an enormous, enormous loss. Um, and I found Yoga Land, and Yoga Land became my weekly check-in, my place of connection, my place of inspiration, and something that really felt like it su was supporting me. Um, so thank you for your incredible work. Thank you for your super thoughtful interviews, um, your your speakers and your guests, and the teachers are so wonderful. Uh, and I've been so moved and so excited and, and have loved learning with you um, and Jason that I actually enrolled in his 300 hour. So I'm currently in his 300 hour. Um, anyway, very grateful. I look forward to Yoga Land every week. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Andrea. I just wanted to let you know that I've always loved your podcast, and I feel like I've been so many people <laughs> listening to your podcast. I started listening to it when it was summer of my college junior year, and I was working in a mail room, and I was very sad, but I would listen to your podcast, and then I moved abroad, and I was... It was like the only connection to yoga I really felt. Um, and it was the first time I was doing a ton of home practices um, five years ago. And now I've moved back to San Francisco. I've already been in multiple careers, um, still teaching yoga and still learning through Yoga Land and um, have appreciated the different people that you've brought on the podcast throughout the years and how even when I started to listen to it five years ago, it resonated with me and it still does today. Um, and I feel like that's always remained true. Thank you. Okay. Now this is brilliant. A voice message. I love this. We've heard your voice all this time and now you can hear ours. What more can be said than what I've already told you? Your podcast is amazing. It's beyond everything. I listen to it when I do dishes, when I do laundry, when I drive, um, all the time. When I do yard work, I refer everybody to it. I send them some of my favorite episodes. Every time I have conversations, on any topic in life, I can always tie it back to a Yoga Land episode. And so I will literally text people your episodes that pertain to the conversation we were having. I love it. It's brilliant. It's amazing. I appreciate all the work you do. It has saved me. It has saved me at a time even when um, I was struggling to find what I needed for my religion. And I'm a devout Mormon friend of... Um, Chelsea Adams. That's how I found you. Anyway, um, I think you're amazing. I love you. I love the work that you do. And when you move into her neighborhood and I finally meet you one day, 
I am sure to hug you and cry because that's how much I love your podcast and how much it has meant to me. Thanks so much. Hi, Andrea. My name is Jen, and I'm from Ottawa, Canada. I absolutely love Yoga Land. I, um, I discovered it about a year ago when the pandemic hit, and I started going on these lunchtime yoga-related podcast walks. And, um, and I've dabbled in a few other podcasts, but yours is the one that I repeatedly go back to. I always feel so informed and engaged and enthusiastic about yoga while listening to your episodes. And I come home and want to share all the information with my husband and my child. Um, and what makes your podcasts really stand out, I believe, is your are your honest and personal conversations with that have such natural flow and your thoughtful and in-depth questions and the immense respect that you have for your guests really shine through your, your conversations. Um, and finally, you have such a welcoming, warm and friendly vibe and a beautiful voice. And I just want to hang out with you. Um, so thank you for sharing your talent with us in such a meaningful and impactful and generous way. Hi, Andrea. My name is Mary. I'm so excited. Yoga Land has hit five years. So I've been listening from the very beginning. I've never missed an episode. I started listening before I was a yoga teacher. I am a yoga teacher now, but I knew I wanted to be one. Um, I didn't receive my certificate until about two years after the podcast started. So I'd been listening for a while. Um, and what I'd like to share is that your conversations with Jason and other yoga teachers have taught me from the very beginning, you know, when I was in training to become a teacher, that it's okay for your teaching to change. It's okay to keep learning and to not get stuck in what you learned in your initial training, that you can keep growing and um, adapting. And I think that's incredibly valuable. It's been incredibly valuable to me because I've only been teaching three years and certainly my teaching has changed within that time when I find out more and learn more. Um, and I'd also like to say that um, an incredibly important episode to me was when you talked about your struggle with depression. Um, I struggle with depression and anxiety and um, it made me feel not alone. Um, sometimes in the yoga world, it can feel a little lonely to, to be struggling with mental illness and be in the yoga world and, um, and to be a teacher of yoga. Um, but you made me feel like it was okay and I wasn't alone. So thank you. Um, and keep doing what you're doing. I've loved the past few episodes with Susanna Barkataki and Amber Carnes and all these people who are paving the road to a better world and the way to share yoga with more people. Um, so thank you, Andrea and Jason. Hey, Andrea and Jason. It's Argy here in the UK. Your podcasts have been such a valuable treat for me these past few years. Keep it up. Thank you. Hi, Yoga Land Pod. Um, it's Ali G here from Long Beach. I've taken one of Jason's trainings a few years ago. And so I just absolutely love the podcast because it helps me keep in touch with Jason and what he's doing. And then also just helps me keep involved with the whole community, yoga community. And I just absolutely love listening to the episodes. I always find a lot of benefit and joy out of it. So thank you. Hi, Andrea. I'm Mika from Manila, Philippines. And I've been listening to your podcast since you started. And I really super enjoy listening to, to your all the episodes. And what I really enjoy the most is your conversations with Jason. When you guys talk about... Um, 
I guess asana I'm a teacher here in Manila and it 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 helps uh, to hear how you and Jason break things down so practically and it's so you guys are so real and authentic and it feels like I'm just listening to two friends talking sometimes I feel like I'm with you and laughing with, uh, with you so thank you for creating this and more power to you Hi, Andrea. This is Bryony. I just want to say thank you so much for Yogaland. It has been a forum, a place where you can find out everything you ever wanted to know. But we're too afraid to ask. You keep it real. The yoga world has changed so much over the last 20 years. You know, and you enable students to understand that your yoga practice doesn't have to be perfect, that yoga teachers get injured, that yoga teachers, the best in the world, are just like normal people. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Thank you so much. Happy anniversary, Yoga Land. I cannot tell you how much uh, you mean to me. That sounds a little bit crazy, but you do. I started listening to you two years ago when I got my certification. One of my teacher trainers uh, told me about your podcast, and I can't even believe how much I've learned, and especially during the pandemic. I love Yoga Land so much that I almost wrote a song parody and recorded it. Um, but I thought maybe Jason would hate that, but Andrea, I think you would love it. So if that's something you want, let me know and I'll get right on it. But suffice it to say, uh, my husband is sick of hearing me talk about yoga land. I talk about it constantly. Thank you. Thank you, you guys. And, um, keep going. Hi, Andrea. My name is Jessica, and I am a yoga practitioner and teacher. I live in Williamsburg, Virginia, and I initially found your podcast about two years ago, and I immediately asked myself how I had been missing it for so long. So after I found it, I spent a lot of time going back through the archives and listening to all the wonderful content that you've created. I learned so much from you and your guests and from Jason. My favorite episode is the one that you did um, when you interviewed Mati Ezrati. I have listened to that at least three times, and each time I learned something new. That was just a wonderful interview. So after you know, uh, learning more about you and learning so much from Jason, that sealed it in my mind that I really wanted to do Jason's 300 hour. So I did two modules online with him last year and just did my final one earlier this month. So I'm officially finished and have to say it has revolutionized my practice and my practice of teaching. So thank you both so much. I've learned so much and I am so grateful. So keep doing what you're doing. You guys are a power couple in the yoga world. So thank you. Hey, Andrea, congratulations on the milestone for Yoga Land. It's such a great show. I have to say one of the ones that really sticks out for me is the interview with Mati Ezradi. I really loved it at the time. I have been lucky enough to study and practice with her and knew I would go back to it many times and have. And since we sadly lost Mati, it just feels like such a special thing to have and to have captured her essence in the way that you did was just um, special. So thank you. I appreciate it and appreciate all you have done for the yoga community. I was lucky enough to discover Yogaland podcast just a couple months into its production and listened religiously for a really long time. I had just opened a yoga studio on April 1st of 2016, and it was an intense adventure. I only had a couple years of part-time yoga teaching experience, and now running a studio and and then over time teaching up to 18 classes a week at different times. Um, Yoga Land helped keep me inspired and connected in a world that was otherwise pretty, pretty stressful and a little, a little alienating. Being a business owner with a startup is pretty intense. Uh, 
our community grew and uh, my my position at the studio changed over the years. And after about four years, I did stop listening as religiously because I went in some other directions. But I still binge on it every once in a while. Um, and I do stay caught up on all the episodes. And I continue to find so much value and community in Yoga Land podcast. It just has been there for me throughout a, a lot. <laughs> and and even this pandemic, um, you know, hasn't hasn't managed to get the best of us. We have now uh, turned the business into a cooperative and are figuring out how to move forward from there. But Yoga Land has been a, a huge asset in, in holding my hand and holding space for me along this journey. So thank you so much. Hi, Andrea. My name is Meg, and I started listening to the podcast shortly after my daughter was born, um, and she's now five years old. So I think I started listening early on when you started recording, and I would listen to your podcast while I was jogging and pushing her in a jogging stroller. And I've never been a runner, but it was she was contained and safe, and it gave me a chance to make me feel kind of connected to yoga while I was running, which was the only way that I could like contain my daughter and exercise at the same time. Anyway, I've always enjoyed listening to your podcast since and um, related to you kind of as a mother and as a yogi. And um, I just have learned so much from all the interviews that you do. I think that I've almost listened to every episode. Um, and thank you so much for continuing to put such great, amazing content out there for all of us and for helping us learn and taking us on your journey and your explorations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.